Let us pray. Father, it is good to give thanks to you, and we thank you, and we just rejoice uh, in this budget uh, overage uh, that you have supplied our needs amply. You've done uh, more than all we can ask or imagine as far as meeting our needs for the church here at Covenant, and that we're able to uh, to cast that on the waters, to send it out, God. Uh, so we know it will come back to your glory, and we thank you for your ample provision for us. We thank you for Henry and the missions committee and everybody involved in their wisdom, and, and we uh, we just rejoice in what you're going to do uh, through that money uh, for your kingdom in the world, Father. It's good to give thanks to you. It's good to sing praises to your name, O Most High, Father. You are uh, you are the Most High. You are the Most Exalted God, and we rejoice that we are here to give you praises today. Lord, we declare your steadfast love by which you bind us to yourself, Father, to do our good no matter what it costs you. And we, we thank you that we can sing that in the morning and then at night we'll be able to talk about how faithful you were this day and every day because you cannot deny yourself. You've made us glad by your work. At the work of your hands, we sing for joy, Father. We thank you for your works of creation that delight us, Lord. We thank you for your work of redemption that saves us, and we look forward to your work of restoration, Father, when all the sad things will come untrue. We rejoice in that, Lord. Uh, but there are many sad things now, and we lift up our members who are struggling with cancer. We pray for Bill and Cindy Hay, Mike and Sandy Whitten, and Jerry and Sandra Norman, as Bill, Mike, and Sandra battle cancer, we pray for them that you would bring healing, that you would bring relief from pain, relief from side effects, wisdom for the doctors uh, that are guiding their treatment and give them your peace. We pray for uh, Cindy and Sandy and Jerry as they care uh, for their loved ones, that you would give them uh, grace and wisdom and peace. We pray that you would, they would all feel your presence in this hard time. Uh, we pray for Hollis, who's the granddaughter of Richard and Barbara Thompson. She's in the hospital right now. Lord, we pray for her healing. Again, we pray for uh, all who are involved in her care, and they would just be an extension of your hands to her. We pray specifically uh, that you would protect her from viruses and the flu so that she wouldn't get sick while she's in the hospital for treatment. We pray for our brother, Mark Medet. He's on a, mission, he's on a medical mission trip to Yucatan this week. We pray for the medical and the non-medical members of the team. We pray for the ENT surgeries that they'll be doing, that they'd be successful. We pray as they go out to do medical screenings in the villages that you will make them effective for helping uh, the people in Yucatan be healthier. We pray specifically that as the team serves, that the hearts of the people that they serve will be vulnerable and open so that they will see Jesus and not empty religion. Father, we pray for our partners. Sasan and Kenna Tavasoli, who are serving Iranians. Father, make their work effective for your gospel. Protect them from the evil one and anyone who would seek to do them harm. Give them, give them wisdom and grace as they are spreading your message and serving these people. And Father, we pray for our missionary partners, David and Daniel Groton, and John and Kathy Rugg, who are in Chile. Uh, Father, we pray for everyone who's been affected by the terrible wildfires that have gone on in that country uh, lately. We thank you so much and we rejoice that the Grottons and the Rugs themselves are safe. Uh, again, we pray that you would give them the resources and the wisdom that they need to minister to the people who've been displaced by these fires. Uh, we pray for the grieving families who've lost loved ones in these fires. We pray for the people who have lost their homes completely and the people who've been displaced because of evacuation orders. Well, we pray that you would bring these fires to a halt 
very quickly through rain or fire departments or however you do it, God. We pray that these fires would stop. Uh, we pray that you would be with these uh, with these poor people who've been displaced, and Lord, that you'd uh, give us uh, wisdom as it pleases you to know how we could help. Father, again, we just thank you for the privilege of being here this day uh, and speak uh, to our hearts by your Holy Spirit uh, through Dave. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. We often doubt what God will do because we have forgotten what God has done. We have seen this play out in the life of Israel as they have left Egypt and headed to the promised land. And our passage this morning in Numbers 33, verses 1 through 49, serves as a travel itinerary, a wilderness travel log for Israel since leaving Egypt. Moses is commanded by the Lord to write down stage by stage where they camped. So here they are at the edge, at the doorstep of the promised land, and Moses pauses to recount their journey. I'm just going to read the first four verses from Roman, from, excuse me, from Numbers 33, page 11 of your worship guide. These are the stages of the people of Israel when they went out of the land of Egypt by their companies under the leadership of Moses and Aaron. Moses wrote down their starting places stage by stage by the command of Yahweh, and these are their stages according to their starting places. They set out from Ramses in the first month on the 15th day of the first month. On the day after the Passover, the people of Israel went out triumphantly in the sight of all Egyptians. While the Egyptians were burying all their firstborn, whom Yahweh had struck down among them. On their gods also Yahweh executed judgments. Every word of God proves true. He is a shield to those who take refuge in him. There are moments and seasons in life where our present circumstances and prospect of what lies ahead is simply overwhelming. Our present circumstances and the unknown paths ahead loom larger than God and his promises to us. And that can elicit all sorts of responses in us. Despair and fear, confusion and uncertainty, grumbling and complaining, denial. Some of us might attempt to grab control of the situation to try and minimize risk. For some, it might just be to sit tight. Others, it might be to look to the things of the world to satisfy and to bring comfort and peace. But if we live long enough, we will find ourselves in these places. And that's where Israel finds itself in Numbers 33. The question for Israel is really no different than the question that faces us every single day. Will Israel trust God to deliver on his promises? Will we trust God to deliver on his promises? Israel's journey of over 40 years is almost over. But we know from Numbers 32 that at least a handful of the tribes effectively refused to enter the promised land. And so Moses is about to have another full-blown crisis on his hands. See, these tribes, they looked at the land where they were, and they had large herds, and they liked the look of that land. And they didn't want to go into the promised land. 
He said, Moses, we'd, we'd like to opt out of this. We'd like to choose the, the comfort and the material prosperity that we can have right here over the uncertainty of entering into the promised land. See, the promise of the Lord at that time really didn't mean that much to them. Their eyes were on a different prize. And we know back from uh, their history, they had sent in spies and the vast majority of those spies came back and they were terrified of the prospect of entering the land. And so Israel, like us, when we face the prospect of the unknown, is overwhelmed. So this is the context of the Lord directing Moses to pause and to recount their journey. The Lord is reminding his people of his sovereign and merciful guidance and provision every step of the way. See, there was going to be nothing that stood in God's way of getting his people where he promised. Not even their sin and rebellion. So Yahweh will certainly not fail to grant his promises. And this itinerary of sorts highlights God's faithfulness. So for the sake of time, we're, we're not going to look at uh, verses 5 through 49. I, I believe there are 42 different places that they camped, 42 different names that I do not want to try and pronounce. And honestly, they don't seem all that interesting at first glance. But for Israel, some of these places would evoke really strong memories, really strong memories of God's provision of his guidance, of his faithfulness. Some of the highlights, they would have recalled their plight in Egypt, the suffering and oppression that they felt under the yoke of slavery. They would have recalled God demonstrating his supremacy and divine judgment over the gods of Egypt. They would have recalled being chased by the Egyptian army and God parting the Red Sea to allow them to escape. Uh, the bitter wa- rock made, excuse me, the bitter water made sweet at Marah, the water gushing from the rock at Rephidim, Yahweh's giving of the law and renewing of the covenant at Sinai. We could go on and on and on on God's faithfulness. Lots and lots of moments. And so it's God's faithfulness in his past dealings with Israel that are the guarantee that he will fulfill his promises. He will give them the land. But there they are on the edge of the doorstep and they flinch. Our present circumstances, the unknown ahead of us, the suffering and affliction that we face is part of just living in a broken and fallen world. Those things will not get in the way of God fulfilling his promises. Yahweh is faithful. But Israel also needs to be reminded here of their own disobedience, their own sin and rebellion. This travel itinerary would have also evoked some strong memories for Israel of those things. You're probably aware of the phrase, those who do not learn history are doomed to repeat it. Israel did not know that phrase. They kept repeating them. And it's vital that they remember their mistakes and their sins. 
their disobedience, their idolatry, is they look to enter enter the land. A few of those examples, Israel complaining for water at Marah and Rephidim. They're complaining for food in the desert of sin and longing to return to Egypt a month after they were delivered. Lots of grumbling and complaining. Idolatry and sexual immorality at Sinai and other places. Moses and Aaron's sin of frustration at Kadesh. And this list could go on and on and on. Over and over, we see a people quick to forget. Quick to forget the Lord's faithfulness and quick to turn from him in the face of difficulty, in the face of hardship. So Moses' travel itinerary was meant to help them look back on their behavior to ensure that they would not do those same things when they entered the land. So it reminded them of their sin and rebellion. It reminded them of God's faithfulness. But it also would have reminded them that they, they live in a broken and fallen world. Right? Not all suffering and affliction is a direct result of sin. Israel certainly experienced this in Egypt under the yoke and oppression and slavery of the Egyptians. Israel, like us, we experience that. And that's going to continue for them in the promised land. See, Israel's story is actually not any different than our story. We find ourselves in similar situations as the people of Israel. What lies ahead for them in this case? The apparent uncertainty Entering the land, it looms larger than God and his character and his promises. The same is true for us. What lies ahead is often uncertain and even terrifying. I want to give you some homework. Sorry, kids, homework at church. But sometime this week, I want you to write out your itinerary. I want you to just sit down and write out the places that you have camped. Reflect on those places. And some of those may elicit strong memories. Maybe you weren't walking with Jesus. Maybe you were looking to the world to satisfy. Maybe you were grumbling and complaining. Maybe some of those places were really painful. Maybe some joyful. Your itinerary might be all over the map, literally and figuratively. And yes, it, it may produce other responses as well. But pay attention to God's faithfulness. I want you to pay attention to God's faithfulness, to reflect on those moments when you saw it, see it now so clearly, even if you didn't in the moment. Uh, I did this. Um, a couple of weeks ago, and uh, limited it to places that I've stayed for more than a month. And uh, I believe I counted 22 different places. And I paused to reflect on many of those places. Uh, and there was lots of memories. Um, there were lots of strong memories, joyful memories, hard memories. Uh, but there was a thread of God's faithfulness woven throughout. And so this week, pause and recount your journey. Remember his sovereign 
and merciful guidance and provision every single step of the way. And we've all had those certain moments and seasons where the reality of living in a broken and fallen world comes crashing in, where the brokenness and the fallenness is punching us in the gut. Just even right now in our body, we have spouses and parents and grandchildren undergoing cancer treatments. We have spouses and grandparents, parents and grandparents in their final days and weeks and months. Students, you may be close to graduation and you're unsure of what's next. We have Ukrainian brothers and sisters who have been displaced from their homes and their country. We have some who have chronic and lingering health issues and we have those who are caring for them. Some of you are facing job unemployment and uncertainty. Some of you have joyfully and excitedly set the date of your retirement, but you don't know what's next. Some are waiting for the prodigal to return home. And some have suffered incredible loss. In the very recent past, I want to try and reflect and process on a very recent season in our family's life where it seemed like the circumstances might be bigger than Jesus. The uncertainty of what lies ahead was overwhelming and terrifying. And I want to share a part of that journey. Many of you know that last uh, fall, Catherine and I lost our son, Christopher. Uh, We have one son, Baker, who's about to turn three, and we were thrilled to be adding to our family. Uh, But in late July, we discovered that something was terribly wrong with Christopher, and around 16 weeks, we went to Children's Hospital in Philadelphia We got the devastating news um, that nothing could be done and he would not survive. There was a lot we didn't know. What exactly caused the issues, any sort of timeline. Um, We came back somewhat expecting it to happen quickly. We set the ultrasound appointments for every Monday to check Christopher's heartbeat. And then we waited Catherine went back to teaching. Baker would soon go back to school. We went back to our normal lives, went to work. We fed and changed and played with Baker, went on strolls with him. The return to normal was helpful. We sat down with a counselor to process our deep, deep grief. And all along, we're pleading with the Lord for a miracle, but also facing reality. Well, Christopher's heartbeat, it stayed strong. Um, and over time, it looked more and more likely that, Chris, that Catherine would carry him, um, or at least closer to full term than, than we had thought. But the days and the weeks passed, and we 
waited. And waiting is hard enough. But when you're waiting for the inevitable, it's awful. We were daily experiencing the tension of living between the fragility of life and death. On Wednesday, November 1st, after Catherine had not felt him for about 24 hours, we went to the hospital. There was no heartbeat. And Jesus had called him home. We've placed tissues in every aisle for y'all. We've learned a lot about ourselves. We've learned a lot about Jesus, about others. We're still learning. We had months and months and months to process what was happening and what was to come, and our trust was far from perfect. We doubted like Israel did. Our grief was deep. And Jesus didn't fix it, but he entered into it with us. Uh, The waiting... While it was excruciating at times, it was also beautiful. We knew the Lord had gifted us Christopher for a season, whether that was for a few months um, in the womb or for longer, and we wanted to cherish that. We majored on the majors. We were reminded all along the way of our weakness and dependence on God, of His goodness and love. We were living and breathing examples of God's grace being sufficient in our weaknesses. We experience the truths and promises of God in profound and unique ways. Certain Bible verses and stories just became more real and vivid. Uh, One of those examples is if you remember the time that Jesus said, let the little children come to me for such is the kingdom of heaven. That took whole new meaning for us because That's what Jesus was saying to Christopher. He was saying, come to me. And that's what we want for all of our children, to come to Jesus. This just was happening in a very different way. Certain songs were more meaningful and emotional. Um, One of our communion hymns, Yet not I, but but through Christ in me. This verse has a whole new meaning. The night is dark, but I am not forsaken. For by my side, the Savior, he will stay. A labor on in weakness and rejoicing. For in my need, his power is displayed. To this this I hold, my shepherd will defend me. Through the deepest valley, he will lead. Though the night has been won, and I shall overcome, yet not I, but through Christ in me. We knew that our circumstances did not dictate what we knew to be true about God, but we didn't always cling to him like we should have, but he always held us close and tight. Jesus drew near. And now our longing for heaven is a little greater when we will be reunited with him.
I want to mention two specific ways that we experience God's faithfulness. First, Jesus is in control. Now, of course, we knew this, but we wrestled with this day in and day out, but all of our eggs were in this basket. But near the end, especially, we experienced this in some profound ways. Um, our, our care had been at Brookwood, Catherine's OBGYN, who cared very, very well for us, uh, is there, practices there. But the further that um, we went along, uh, just some things of how we had to approach um, this changed. And so she recommended that we go down to UAB um, and see some specialists down there and have them kind of take a look. And we didn't expect to see anything different. In fact, it, things were actually a little bit worse. And Catherine, up to this point, there was, she was healthy and there was no risk to her whatsoever. Uh, but we also knew the further she went along, that risk um, would increase. And so um, our OBGYN actually recommended that we transfer our care to UAB. Uh, they have more resources uh, to really help um, to care for us. And so our focus transferred to her health and, and our future fertility. And that was Friday, October the 27th. We made that decision. So if you can just imagine, um, we, we've, we've grieved a lot up to that point, um, and now the uncertainty of the next four to six weeks, uh, the uncertainty of um, increased risk and complications, um, that was worry, worrisome to say the least. Jesus is in control. Just a few days later, Jesus called Christopher home. It was time, Jesus said. And I think part of how he displayed his faithfulness was all those chances of increased risk of complications, he just completely took off the table. He was in control. And then last, and probably the most tangible way that we experience God's faithfulness, and that's through you. Jesus' church is beautiful. You shared in this journey with us. And let me say this now, it Often our tendency is to withdraw and to isolate. Don't. Let your brothers and sisters here share in your journey, especially the hardest parts. I cannot begin to tell you all the ways that our church family love, has loved and cared for us. You're continuing to do so. You waited with us. You, st you stormed. The gates of heaven 
with prayers for us. Some of you who have suffered in similar ways, your sharing in our suffering and your support and encouragement has been absolutely amazing. You believed with us and for us when we couldn't. You reminded us of what is true. You wept and you grieved with us. And not one person stuck their foot in their mouth. (laughs) You sent us notes, flowers, gifts. The food, good grief, the meal train. I could go on and on and on about the ways that we have felt loved and cared for in deep and meaningful ways. Just one quick example. Uh, Catherine um, teaches fourth grade at Edgewood Elementary, and they were so, so good and kind, and uh, she was able to take about two months off, and she was getting ready to go back, and you can imagine she was nervous and anxious, and many of you knew that and were aware of that, and um, she came home that first day, and I asked her how her day was, and she said it was better than I could have imagined. And I said, how many people reached out and told you they were praying for you? And she said, a bunch. And I said, that's what it, that's what it looks like to be buoyed up by the prayers of God's people. So thank you. So back to your homework. <laughs> I want you to pause and recount God's faithfulness and sustaining grace in your life. Remember, we often doubt what God will do because we have forgotten what God has done. So let's not forget and let's not let each other forget. As we go to the table here in just a minute, you know, at this table we actually pause and we reflect on deep truths and deep realities. And I think so much about what I've uh, described and so much of what we've experienced in the past six months, those things are here at the table. Our weakness and dependence, Jesus' goodness and nearness and faithfulness and love, our mutual love for one another. And this sacrament is a gift to us as God's people is one of the ways that God presses those deep truths and deep realities into our hearts, into our minds, into our lives. Let's pray. Jesus, you're faithful. Thank you for the ways that you have shown that to my family especially in the last five or six months. Thank you for the ways that you have used our beautiful church family here to do that very thing. I pray that you would, by your Holy Spirit, press deep truths and realities into our hearts, into our minds, into our lives through... um, this means of grace, this supper that you have gifted to us. 
as we draw near in our dependency, in our weakness, in our helplessness, remind us that your grace is sufficient in our weaknesses. Amen.